Hello, I'm Bradley Hayes and I'm an FY2 doctor working in South East London and welcome to our first episode of The Class of Corona, a podcast for final year medical students about to start working in the NHS. We're still recording content as much as we possibly can, so if you have any questions or concerns, please contact us via the SurveyMonkey link in the description below or at classofcorona2020 at gmail.com. Each episode I'm going to be joined by three other junior doctors as we discuss one aspect of being a good F1, and this week's episode is coronavirus. So, without further ado, let's get on with the episode. So, as to be expected, um, loads of the questions and responses that we got were about coronavirus. So, there's loads of themes about how coronavirus has affected different parts of the hospital, worries about PPE, but I thought the first episode we try and answer some of everyone's concerns about coronavirus from our perspective, working in London hospitals. So the first thing that we should do is if everyone could introduce themselves. So, hi, I'm Dan. Uh, I'm an FY2 doctor working in A&E in South London. I'm Rachel. I'm an F3 working in respiratory medicine in South London. And I'm Andrew. I'm an FY3 working in intensive care in central London. Um, I thought the first thing would be good to do is go through each of the departments where you're working and say, how has it changed over the last two or three months? Yeah, so um, there's been big changes in A&E, as you know, I'm sure everyone can, can imagine. Um, we have a uh, majors, which is split up into respiratory patients and non-respiratory patients, um, and, and patients coming into the department get streamlined as to where they get seen and treated um, and uh, we try and keep patients who who coming in with other illnesses you know abdominal pain you know, broken bones etc away from those who may be infected the the only other thing to note is that we've got a lot more staff um, so quite a lot of people have been redeployed to certain areas so A&E medical medical wards and ITU and so down in A&E, we've got a lot of staff who are potentially new to the department, haven't worked in the department for a while, haven't worked in the department at our trust uh, in particular. Um, so, you know, lots of new faces, lots of people get into grips with things. And for the new guys coming, it's, you know, quite daunting. It's quite new experience. And it just, you know, lots of people there to to kind of offer help and support to lots of people to ask because one thing that really has changed is just the sheer number of, of doctors and nurses around um, in any one shift. Uh, that's great. Should we talk about medicine next? Yeah, so in medicine, again, there's been a lot of changes in the last few months and things are changing kind of on a weekly and a daily basis. But the main change is that the ward team structure is much more fluid now. So um, the hospital has been split into clean areas and dirty areas with clean areas being where the patients without any coronavirus are going. So every morning all of the doctors um, and as Dan said lots of people have been redeployed to so anyone who was on surgery or GP, psychiatry or anything non-medical has been redeployed either to ITU or to medicine so there's a huge number of doctors available every day it's, it definitely doesn't feel like we're understaffed at any point. So every morning the teams are split up. So you've got red teams dealing with coronavirus patients, amber teams dealing with a mixture of the two, and then you've got the green teams dealing with the clean 
patients. So I think it's probably slightly different in every hospital, but hospitals are all following a similar pattern. And then those teams are allocated a certain number of wards. You go to the wards and then from there, it's pretty much business as usual. You have a consultant or registrar ward round. You see the patients, you do the jobs, you hand over to the night team in the evening. The only, the big change is just that you don't necessarily know where you're going to be at the start of each day and which team you're going to be on. Um, but you will largely either be a clean or dirty doctor for the day or for the week um, to help minimise the spread in hospital of coronavirus. And that's, sim- that's similar to A&E as well. It, you know, we would do a shift in the respiratory zone or the non-respiratory zone, etc. Again, similar premise to, to keep doctors in similar areas. Um, just a few other things I forgot to mention is, as well as more staff who have been redeployed to A&E, I don't know what it's like on other, on other areas, uh, uh, Rachel, but for us, definitely, we've definitely had more senior staff cover as well. So we're seeing more uh, registrars, A&E specific uh, trainee registrars around on any one shift. Um, they're doing a fantastic job at covering the rotor, and we're also seeing more consultants around in any one shift. And actually, our consultant, um, uh, our consultants are covering night shifts now as well to offer that senior support during the night. Um, so it's it's something that really is a, a big team effort, um, and, and it's just trying to ease staff members in and out as as they come work in the department. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with Dan. There's consultant ward rounds every day, pretty much on every ward now. And the consultants are coming back a number of times a day to review new patients as they're coming to the ward to help make escalation decisions, to help make resource decisions. And there's, it's a very supportive atmosphere and the teamwork is, 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 you know, morale is high, support is high. It's the best start that it's been. So I think don't be afraid that you're going to be left there somewhere on your own. Like, actually, that's not the issue at the moment. Um, and just, just to say, there's been a big streamlining process within the hospital where a lot of extra services have been cancelled, hence why they're able to get a lot more consultants and regs to be down on the wards in an A&E and in ITU. So that's extra support for the juniors. And, and that's, what we're noticing is that's particularly pertinent to A&E because we're able to get quick reviews for patients from specialty doctors. So, you know, the surgical team don't have to get off to, to clinics to operate as much. So they're you know, we're really seeing them down in A&E a lot more. Likewise for other special specialists, um, registrars, SHOs on call. So really that flow through the department, which we talk about a lot in A&E, is, is, is much better. Um, and, and we're seeing support from our specialty colleagues uh, as well, which is just helping tremendously. Um, so Andrew, how is it over in ITU? So... Um, Similar in principle to what we're hearing here from A&E and from medicine. Um, So over the last few weeks, there's been a huge expansion in the service that ITU provides, where lots of areas that wouldn't usually take ventilated patients have become um, level three or kind of ventilator ready beds. Um, That includes some of the operating theatre space, some of the high dependency units and also some of the wards. it's been an incredibly, it's been an incredible effort to put all of that together. And I'm honestly amazed at the, the speed at which all of these decisions and all of these expansions happened. So with that has come a lot more staff, like Dan was saying. We've had lots of the medical and surgical 
um, trainees have been redeployed through to intensive care as sort of SHO level doctors to help with the the day-to-day work which has been fantastic Um, and lots of them because where lots of the elective operation lists have been cancelled we've got consultant and registrar anaesthetists um, that are now able to to lend their sort of senior support to some of these patients that are going to be on ventilator for some time lots of senior support around all the time lots more senior support at night obviously you know a completely a completely different footprint in the hospital to what we saw a few months ago but um it all seems to be working pretty well so i think that's that's a really interesting point and it's one of a number of different schemes and new innovations that seem to be coming in in hospitals around the country i think one thing that is global across the nhs is that there's a response and there are changes that are happening daily and every single department is changing their practice pretty much daily in in the service that they're offering um but it will be different across the country but this is just a discussion about what's happening with us at the moment something that i found valuable over the last few weeks is uh, um, a specific resource which gives you some just basic online training about clinical frailty score um, e-learning module and it's fantastic. That's really interesting Dan, thank you for that. Um, so one of the big questions that came up was about PPE. If everyone could say what's happening with PPE in their part of the hospital and what type of PPE that they're using. So on medicine um, we're using PPE every all day every day the current guidelines are that you should wear a mask and eye protection wherever you are in hospital if it's a clinical area and at no point has there ever been any issues with either of those things every time the guidelines change there's senior staff coming around making sure everybody's up to date making sure people are aware making sure that the supplies are in place and then on the medical wards um, at the moment we're just using aprons surgical masks gloves and eye protection which are changing between each patient and between each ward round as you sort of go round and the nursing staff and the doctors there I think you know there is hasn't been any local supply issues nobody's felt like they had to go short or that they were unsafe or unprotected at any point I understand that there's obviously issues in some places in the country but it's not something that we're seeing locally or in London from people speaking to other people. I completely agree that's the same advice we're using in in uh, A and E, we we have two tiers level of PPE. The first tier is what what you're saying: surgical mask, apron, gloves, and eye protection for all patient contacts, um, uh, and and changing it between each one. And then once we're just at the computer, we keep the mask on, but we obviously we're taking the eye protection off, wiping it down, letting it dry, and then discarding the gloves and the apron, washing our hands. Um, something which we are finding is we're washing our hands a lot um, uh, because we're washing our hands obviously multiple times um, for each patient encounter Uh, and and some staff are are getting dermatitis as a result of that which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, The the only other level of PPE, I'll let Andrew talk about this a little bit more, is those that uh, are involved in aerosol generating procedures um, such as intubation cpr and some other things um but that's essentially the same thing it's just a a more fitted mask so an ffp3 mask which you're fit checked on uh or fit tested on um you can fit check yourself uh which which is good and uh then it's just apron eye protection gloves 
Um, so it's just that extra level of, of, uh, of protection. We, we, we split the intensive care units, as Rachel was saying, with the medical wards into um, COVID positive units and COVID negative units. Um, what we found as time has gone on is that actually more and more those COVID negative units have become contaminated um, either by patients that have come in with other complaints and have later been found to have coronavirus um, or patients that that may have had coronavirus uh, may have picked up coronavirus in the hospital it's not exactly clear but that's become a bit harder um, we within the coronavirus um, positive units it's um, because we have patients that are on both invasive and non-invasive ventilation like NIV or CPAP um, including although we don't really use this in our hospital at the moment but um, high flow nasal cannula or high flow nasal oxygen um, the whole of those positive COVID positive units are designated as being aerosol environments and therefore to be within those areas you need to be in the full aerosol protective PPE and that's the FFP3 masks which have a, a fine fill which are fitted to the face so that they have a tight seal and the air doesn't leak out of them and they have a, a very small filter which filters out um, both larger droplets and also smaller aerosol droplets. Um, eye protection in the form of a visor in our case although other hospitals use goggles. Um, full, full arm gowns and gloves and I can say being within those units for any amount of time, particularly when it's hot, it gets really, really stuffy under all of that PPE. It does make your job a lot harder. Um, you do find, because the other, the other consideration is that when we go from patient to patient, we put an additional pair of gloves and a normal gown over the top, as you would within any, with a normal ITU. Um, you're often wearing about three different layers of plastic and it just gets incredibly stuffy under those. Um, but it's what you have to do. Um, just, just, just to add on from what Dan was saying about the, the FFP3 masks, and it's just something I think is probably worth talking about because there's been a lot of discussion in social media um, about, just to clarify, some of the masks you have to be fit tested on. That means that you have to um, have a session with a somebody that's trained in this you try on one of the mask sizes and they will do some tests and that includes you wearing a sort of big hood over the top of the mask and then spraying some um, sugary spray within the hood and if you can taste the sugary spray it means that there is some leak in the mask. Um, the ones that we're using in our hospital at the moment are a newer type that don't require you to be fit tested they have a sort of rubber seal on the inside and you have to fit check those yourself. But it's worth if you are starting new at hospital, one of the things you may need to find out is whether the masks that are being used require you to be fit tested formally or not. I think something that's really key is, um, you know, you're, you're coming into the NHS at this time, you will be wearing PPE and um, you will be wearing PPE for some of you in, in these areas for a long time uh, or, or, or long periods of time. And something that you know we ought to stress is you just need to look at look after yourselves look after your colleagues and um, make sure you're taking breaks regularly but make sure every hour or two you're maybe degowning getting water emptying your bladder you know doing all those things having some relief from the mask had a shift today and i had a mask on for eight hours um, and it's pretty sore it it, it gets the bridge of your nose um, i've got colleagues who starting to wear things like 
duoderm, just a small layer that we uh, kind of use on dressing on, on wounds for dressings over the bridge of the nose just to relieve that pressure area but again I just want to stress you need to look after yourselves um, if you are seeing skin breakdown on your, on your nose or you know your mask is sore then take a break and I think what we're seeing in, in my hospital is everyone is is um, very eagle-eyed at the moment to look out for their colleagues offer breaks um, my registrar today was fantastic. He offered me a coffee break maybe 10 or 15 times. Um, each time I, I declined. Uh, but he, you know, he, he was regularly saying, are you okay? Do you need to take your mask off? Do you need a break? Um, so make sure you're, you're looking out for that. Yeah, and I think you know, we've bombarded you a bit with lots of different situations and it's, it can all be a bit confusing. But then just remember that it's changing so often that people are keeping people updated there will be posters up in each clinical area and if you're not sure just ask your consultants ask ask the nurse in charge the nurses are probably the best people to ask because they're there all day every day they they're wearing the PPE much more than we are they're spending a lot more time with the patients and so if you're not sure just ask it's much better to ask and be clear rather than to leave yourself unprotected because you weren't sure what you were doing I think those are all incredible points. I just think in summary, um, it's so important to protect yourself. I think we're all in this possibly for the long run, looking over the next few months, maybe probably even longer. So it's really important you keep yourself healthy. Um, and that's in terms of PPE, in terms of your mental health, um, in terms of physical health, because we're all going to be in this for the long run. What everyone's saying is there's so much support out there and everyone's really grouping together for that. So a really good question that was raised um, is, are you taking any extra precautions traveling to and from work because of coronavirus? So I think we're all doing lots of things to try and protect our housemates, protect ourselves, try and reduce the risk of us all getting unwell. The biggest thing is that actually medics and everyone across the whole hospital now is wearing scrubs, um, especially in my hospital. I know there's similar things going on across the country and this means that you don't have to wear your own clothes on the ward anymore you you wear something to work you get changed into scrubs and you leave the scrubs at work so we're not you're not contaminating any of your own clothes at all and then outside of that it's just making sure when you get home that you've washed your hands wash your hands before you leave the hospital having a shower as soon as you get in if you've you know we all as much as we try not to we touch our hair we touch our faces all day and it's just making sure that you're washing your hair washing your face washing your hands quite quickly within getting into the house so that you've got everything off you that you might have picked up during the day before you sort of start your evening. We have vats of alcohol gel at the front door. So with the, secu with the security, uh, you know, colleagues politely encouraging staff and, and uh, members of the public to wash their hands, uh, you know, when they're going through the doors. One of the other things as well is that lots of hospitals now have got um, accommodation, new accommodation arrangements for staff. So um, different hospitals have different situations in which that applies. But I know, for example, in my hospital that um, if you feel that you can't get home or that it's unsafe for you to get home or be at home, there's um, a hotel nearby has been effectively requisitioned um, to act as um, staff accommodation. Um, also, I think that applies if if you are within the household of someone that has been tested positive for coronavirus, but now you've been tested negative, that you can stay in 
new staff accommodation um, to allow you to easily and safely get to work. So again, it's worth looking in, if you're starting in a new hospital, it's worth looking into whether there's an option for you to stay in hospital accommodation, which may be easier. Um, one of the other things is that I found just whether or not there's something that is actually beneficial or is kind of remains to be seen, but I was, I take public transport to and from work. When I get home, I go straight into the shower, I have a good shower, um, leave my clothes um, separate. And then I feel when I come out of the shower and I go into to my house that I, I'm about as clean as I can be and I can relax a little bit and unwind. Um, have you guys taken any made difference getting to and from work? So just public transport, bikes, cars? I, I did initially um, stop using the bus. I think now actually as I'm cycling to work, I, I'm looking at the buses and the bus stops and they're, they're empty. That, you know, there's no more than five people on any one double-decker bus at the moment in central London. And if that's your way to get to work, everything's contactless. You don't have to interact with the driver. You can go, you know, sit in a corner of the bus. You won't be disturbed and you can get off at your stop. And I think that's a very safe way, again, if you're decontaminating your hands, to, to get to and from work. I just think for everyone, there needs to be a pragmatic solution where you, you pick the thing that's safest for you. Um, I don't think we can say everyone should drive or everyone could bike because it's just not a viable solution for everyone. It's just, just doing what is best for you. Yeah, and I think hospitals are, are aware that people want to get to work in the safest way. I mean, remember that in London, the congestion zone, um, they've stopped charging for that to make it easier for essential workers to drive to work. And a lot of hospitals have got rid of staff having to pay for parking. Again, appreciating that staff want to get to work in a safe and efficient way so when you start at your hospital it's worth just looking into whether or not there is free parking or what kind of measures they've made to help make it easier for you to get to work. This is a slightly different point um, your new workers you're going to be new workers coming into the NHS it's important you're really open and honest with occupational health uh, when they ask the questions because if you are immunocompromised yourself um, they may want to get you working in different areas. Um, it just goes back to that point we said earlier where we're all in this for the long run. It's all about keeping you safe um, and keeping the whole workforce safe and keeping that pressure off the NHS. Yeah, I've, I've got um, a few colleagues who have had to be kind of redeployed uh, away from clinical areas. I think last question to finish this part of the episode. Is there any advice you would have given yourself from two months ago? I think the advice that I'd give is that it doesn't matter going in that you don't know a lot about it, that you don't know how to manage these patients, that it's a scary thing. The, the key thing that we're seeing is that this changes every day. The guidelines are changing every week. We're learning new things. And so the fact that going into this, you don't, you haven't seen the patients before. You didn't learn about it in medical school. Actually, that doesn't matter because everybody's in the same situation this is a new virus it's a new we're seeing new symptoms we're managing it in a different way than we've done before so don't feel worried or scared about that because actually this is an opportunity for everybody to learn and you know every day there's discussions with juniors and consultants about what people have read the night before and actually what is the best thing to do so it doesn't matter that you've not seen it before yeah, um, I, I agree completely. Um, one of the things that I've been doing in my time off is I've been looking a lot on uh, on Twitter, looking at some of the medical journals that are fast-tracking publications. And 
it's quite easy to get drawn into that and see all these quite strong arguments from people that seem very clever across the world, um, giving you very dogmatic, this very dogmatic advice that, as Rachel says, is then changing week on week. Um, I think you have to remind yourself sometimes just to go back to the basics and say, how would I, if, if there was no coronavirus involved, how would I assess this patient? I'd do an A2E assessment. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd focus on the simple things. I'd focus on making sure they're, they were having oxygen, they were, their fluid balance was right. I'd just focus on the things that you know how to do and ask for help when you need it. And don't let all of the sort of hubbub and talk and sometimes hysteria that comes about with this new virus that we're learning a lot about get in the way of you doing the basics right. Um, I'd like to just do a top takeaway message from this part of the episode. So my top tip would be that it's so important to uh, protect yourself that we're in this for the long run and that PPE and other ways of protecting yourself is so important. Yeah, I think mine, similar to Brad, like you're going to be a doctor for the rest of your careers. Um, this is going to be a couple of months in it and it's really important to look after yourself protect yourself and not let yourself burn out because you've got the rest of your career to do medicine it's not all about the next few months yeah for me it's um about looking after yourself and your colleagues familiarizing yourself with local guidelines and um and, and instructions around things like ppe and, and other things um you should have a mental checklist of what you need to think about when you go into certain areas and ask the relevant people but most importantly look after yourself uh, and look after your colleagues and uh, my top tip is if you ever find yourself feeling stuck, whether that's with a patient that has coronavirus or a patient that doesn't, just go back to the basics. Take a deep breath, go back to your, your ABCDE and call a senior for some help. It, coronavirus doesn't change that. So we're going to move on to a different part of the episode now. And this is about supervision and support. And one of the questions that I got was, do you feel like you're getting the right amount of supervision at the moment? So I think we've, we've touched on this a bit earlier that actually junior doctors in the hospital are probably as well supported as I've ever been supported in my last couple of years. And consultants are around, they're doing daily ward rounds, they're coming back in the afternoons to review patients. They haven't got the little commitments of, you know, all non-essential meetings aren't happening, theatre lists aren't happening, clinics are virtual or have been postponed so they have a lot more time to be around and also everyone is interested in what's happening people are interested in how these patients are responding and so there's a really supportive open teamwork environment around in the NHS at the moment so it, I think support is not something that you should be worried about at all going into this. I completely echo that I think I feel 100% more supported now than before we saw the first case, uh, you know, at my trust. Um, like I said before, we have more senior staff on the floor. We have, um, uh, we have, uh, you know, specialty teams coming down much earlier, interested in patients. They want to see patients uh, because, you know, potentially they're not seeing as many patients as they otherwise would. They're not doing it, their clinics. They're not doing operations, procedures. I think also um, just the amount of com camaraderie that we've been having, the amount of food that's been brought in by different teams. I know we're going to talk about that in another episode. And there's just so much extra support. I know at our hospital, the med regs are doing extra teaching, uh, which has been virtual um, to keep everyone up to date with their teaching schedules. 
we, I, I know at Microsoft, we have uh, dermatologists who are running specialist clinic, walking clinics for um, staff who are suffering from contact dermatitis, from, you know, overuse of gloves or from washing their hands. Um, same goes for kind of breakdown of skin over, over the nasal bridge, wearing uh, masks for, for too long or, or too many sessions. Um, so again, it's a really supportive environment at the moment. If you are struggling, if you do need a break, if you do need to talk to someone, there's quite a lot of support flying around. But that's not to uh, sort of take away from the fact that, you know, this is actually quite a difficult time. Um, and even with all of that, um, you know, there are difficult situations happening um, on the wards, on intensive care, I'm sure down in, in ED. Um, so I think it's I think it's completely reasonable if um, for people to be feeling slightly slightly uh slightly off and struggling a bit um i know lots of people have been struggling when they get home to sort of switch off that's a big problem for new doctors even at the best of times and i know that i'm sure all of us will agree and i can see people kind of nodding their heads that um when you start f1 it's very easy to bring your work home and to think about things that you could have done better think about things that you may have missed etc um, and I think that's all the more relevant now where there's lots of lots of unstable patients around. Um, it's really important to to have a, a way to to switch off when you get back from work. Lots of people have different ways of doing this. And I think to a certain extent, you just need to find what works best for you. I was talking earlier about me kind of having a shower when I come in. And obviously that is a physical thing to try and kind of clean myself. But that also marks for me that that's work done and then I can put my dressing gown on and just relax. I think, you know, just be aware that you may have to not turn the TV on, not turn the radio on for an hour when you get home, just so that you get a bit of space away from that. And things like cycling home from work, walking home from work or going for a run when you get home are all really good ways to just switch your brain off, distract yourself, and then you can reset and put the news on again later if you can face it. It's not just you experiencing these things. Everyone is going through the same thing. Everyone at some point is going to feel like they can't do enough for people, um, that this is all getting too much. And uh, I think the support that we've tried to show today and the amount of support that's out there is showing that everyone's kind of in a similar position. Well, guys, thank you so much for the discussion today. Um, I imagine people will still have quite a few more questions which we're really happy and we really do want to answer so if you do have any more questions get in contact with us via the survey monkey link or by the email um, class of corona 2020 at gmail.com um, our next episode is going to be on managing the unwell patient because that was another thing loads of people had lots of concerns about so until the next episode uh, we'll see you soon